What's good, family, and welcome back to another episode. As the season keeps rolling along, we got to keep knocking out these off-season plan episodes. And if you clicked on this video right here, you already know. We got a legendary team, but we also got a legendary guest, man. This guy is one of the biggest and best journalists covering the NBA right now. He's currently a contributor to GQ Sports. He's had his article published by Bleacher Report, New York Times, LA Daily. We got a legend in the building, man. My guy, Howard Beck. How you doing, Howard? Doing great, John. Good to see you again. It's uh, been a while since we uh, hung out for a bit in Vegas at the Sports Business Classroom and Summer League, but uh, great to see you here. Absolutely, man. It is great to see you, Howard. Yeah, just just, just like how Howard was saying, we met at the uh, the Summer League, the Sports Business Classroom, man. That was an absolute great experience. So if you guys, any, any people out there looking to break into media space uh definitely check out sports business classroom for uh every every summer they got vegas popping off and this year we were lucky enough to have howard come and then howard was cool enough to you know because we exchanged contacts and now we here man talking about the warriors man so um i'm happy i'm happy you here my brother and let's go ahead and jump straight into it so yeah the look man the, the warriors finished with a record of 44 and 38 finished as the sixth seed uh, beat the Kings in seven games and then lost to the Lakers in six. So my first question to you is as a Warriors fan, like how, how were you feeling about the year? Were you happy with the way the year went or were you disappointed? Yeah. Well, obviously I wouldn't identify myself as a Warriors fan or fan of any particular team. Um, I, I do follow them more closely than some teams partially just because of the fact that they have been the story and the team of the last decade essentially um where we're getting pretty close to it to a 10-year run here where they have been if not the defining team certainly one of the defining teams um i do have bay area roots so once upon a time in my childhood maybe i was a bit of a warriors fan but they were pretty low on the radar back when i was a kid because uh they weren't that great <laughs> um i would just say as as an observer uh as somebody covering this league and as somebody who yeah I, I do have a lot of experience with the warriors professionally because i have written a ton about them uh, i've got great relationships with a lot of key people out there and so i feel like i got a better feel for them than than a lot of teams look they they broke through to win another championship that fourth title in 2022 in a way that nobody really saw coming i certainly hadn't saw uh, see, seen that coming I had, like a lot of people um, in the media or out in NBA fandom, I had kind of written them off, figuring that once Durant was gone, he had gone down with the ACL, of course, and once Clay went down and then went down again, I thought they'd be good again. I wasn't sure they'd ever be contenders again, no matter how much respect I have for Steph or for that organization. And so the 2022 championship just kind of raised the bar again. And I think it made us all feel like, well... We, we're going to expect that as long as Steph remains at this MVP level, and he still is, we should pencil them in year in, year out as a contender. And I, th I think still in some regard they were, right? 44 wins is not, does not say contender. Second round loss in the playoffs does not necessarily broadcast contender. But I think you have to look at last season and remember some of the details that as we speak here in early September, even I had kind of forgotten. So I had to go and look this stuff up again. But... Um, maybe they're a 50 win team. If, if Andrew Wiggins doesn't miss the last 25 games to deal with family stuff, he only played 37 out of 82 because of injuries. And then that long absence at the end with, with personal stuff. Um, maybe they're a 50 win team. If Draymond doesn't punch Jordan Poole in the preseason, which everybody downplayed during the course of the season, but when the season was over, everybody, including Draymond, including Steve Kerr, everybody said, you know, that hung over us. That had an impact. There's there's certain things you just can't define in this league. Some of the intangibles about the way a team functions with each other, about the, the dynamics, about their chemistry, about the way that they pull for each other, play for each other. Um, these are hard things to define, and, 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 and the advanced stats don't tell you it, and the, the tracking cameras can't tell you. All, all the ways we can measure the game, you still cannot account for what it does to a team's unity and spirit to have something like that happen. Um, maybe they're a 50-win team if Wiggins, in the time he was playing, didn't regress a little from the prior season. If Poole, whether because of the punch or not, didn't regress a little bit from the prior season. Maybe they're a 50-win team if they weren't still trying to pursue that, that two-timeline uh, strategy where they were kind of force-feeding James Weissman in there. They're trying to get Kuminga and Moody into, into major roles. They were trying to really integrate the young guys while still riding the veteran core, and it just didn't work. 
and that they made they finally made the concession at midseason when they trade Weissman to get Gary Payton the second back. Um, and who knows what happens? Obviously, Payton had some injuries, but who knows what happens if they just kept him or taken a more veteran approach last offseason instead. So, you know, if I'm going to go glass half full, I'm going to say they still had a pretty good season to get, you know, to, to recover from everything that, that happened to them, to get to the second round, lose to a very good Lakers team that had refortified itself midseason. Um, and... You know, yeah, I think probably Warriors fans would consider it a disappointment because anything short of a championship is at this stage. And every year that you don't win a title with Steph is is a missed opportunity on some on some level. Uh, but you think about some of the things that, that happened to the Warriors last season, and some were self-inflicted. There was a 50-win team, 50-plus win team lurking in there somewhere uh, if some things go their way. So, you know, it's on top of it all, the West has just gotten really, it, I don't want to say it's stacked. The West, the West, and during my 26 years of covering the league, the West has always been stacked. And we're actually in a time where it's a little bit of a lull, right? A lot of imperfect teams, but a lot of very, very good teams. Not dominant teams, not, not supreme teams, not historically great teams, but it's just a really thick crowd. And as we talk about, I'm sure we'll talk about this coming season, of course, too. Um, there's just a lot of teams that are that are all kind of pretty close to each other. And so it's hard to break through. You need some things to break your way to to emerge. And so, um, you know, look, I, 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 I might be an easy grader here, but I, I don't think that the Warriors season was was, a, you know, a, um, a disappointment. I think it was a season where they had a lot of challenges, uh, where Steph still played at an MVP level, where you had some ups and downs uh, from Clay Thompson. Um, Draymond still playing at a high level. I, I, I think the outline of a contender is still there, but obviously the clock is ticking based on their age. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that that was a that was a great answer that you brought up. And I mean, when when we talk about the the 2022 championship, that was one that I also did not see coming. I, I'm not gonna lie. Like I was I was on the boat of like okay, the dynasty is starting to like dwindle down. Like this is, this is starting to be the coming the end, uh, the beginning of the end. But, and then that 2022, like you said, just boom, was like the little shock thing that just brought the Warriors and the Warriors fans right back to life. Um, and then fall. And then you know, for this season, I do think that it, it, it it's a bit of um what do they call it? like a championship hangover. It's, it's really hard to be able to be able to replicate that. And then especially like after like everything you said, the whole, a Wiseman situation they were trying to figure out with him not fitting the timeline and the the Draymond Green punch and everything like that. So definitely, uh, I I agree with you. It's it'd be hard to call it a disappointing season just because so many things um, I would say so many things out of their control um, really led them to kind of ha- ha- have to have the season that they have. But what I wanted to ask you was I want to touch real quick on that on that King series. Um, because me personally, I didn't think that was going seven. As much as the Kings, you know, they came out and first time making the championship. I mean, the playoffs in like 16 years, and they revitalized their offense. Mike Brown was doing great things. I give them all the credit. But I know that a lot of times, like when it comes to playoffs, it's you know about the teams who been there before, teams who are able to hunker down and know and know what it is, know how you, how you're supposed to play during playoffs. And the Warriors are exactly that. So I thought that the Kings weren't, weren't really going to take them seven. So were you surprised that the series went seven or was that about like where you thought it was going to go? No, I mean, I picked the Warriors to win that series um, before it started based largely on the fact that, yeah, they had all the experience. The Kings hadn't made the playoffs obviously in whatever, 16 years. Um, first time through for De'Aaron Fox and for a lot of his, his, uh, his teammates, um, by record, the Kings obviously had the better season and, and were the stronger team and the more consistent team. But, you know, the Warriors finished the season pretty strong. And I felt like, especially once they got Wiggins back to start the playoffs and they were a whole, um, I, you know, they just, they're starting five. And this is something, again, we'll talk about as, as we, shift to, 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 you know, the coming season too, like Curry, Clay Thompson, Wiggins, Draymond, Kavon Looney, that starting five. And even the, you know, take Looney out. And then that, that four man unit, um, those are among the best lineups in the NBA still. And yeah, the bench was, was janky for the Warriors last season and might still be, I think, I think they've actually improved the bench overall heading into next season, but 
they're starting five. And, you know, and then the playoffs, obviously you shorten your rotation, your starters play longer minutes, your stars obviously uh, play as much as you can ride them. I, I'm always going to bet on, on, you know, Steph, Clay, Draymond, and that group over a young, t- unproven team that was just making their first foray into the playoffs. And, like, the Kings had a fantastic season and I think really showed out well against the Warriors. And I don't think there was any shame in what goes down as an upset, but only only by records and by standings. It, uh, to me, it wasn't even a true upset. The Warriors were the better team. They just didn't have the kind of season uh, that you would normally expect from them. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not surprised the Warriors came out of that series. Um, I, that it went seven was was fantastic just because it was really fun. Like they played, you know, both those teams played a really uh, fun brand of basketball and uh, it was a fantastic series. And I think, I think the Kings have nothing but, you know, uh, promising, you know, uh, you know, seasons ahead for them um, because they're young and still improving. And if these two teams meet again next spring, who knows? It, it could be the reverse. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that definitely was one of those uh, underrated series in that, in that playoffs that, that was great. It was, it was definitely, as a basketball junkie, great to see seven-game series. But let's go ahead and, and move a little bit off of, of last season. Let's get into some of the official moves that they have did so far this offseason. And I'd be remiss to not talk about the biggest move of them all, uh, and that is the CB3 trade. Uh, the Warriors landed Chris Paul, and the Wizards got Jordan Poole, Patrick Baldwin Jr., Ryan Hollins, and a fir- first, first-round pick and a second-round pick. So... Before we get into like the nitty gritty of it, just give me your thoughts on the trade. Uh, I guess from the Warriors side of things, um, if you want to talk about the Wizards as well, and then just overall, who do you think won and lost? Yeah, I mean, look, you can't judge anything on the Wizards side of it based on any prism other than that team had long ago to me hit a dead end and was a long, long, long overdue for a reset. Um, kudos to Michael Winger, their their new uh, GM and and his crew for making uh, all kinds of moves this summer to hit the reset button in a hard you know in a really emphatic way like they needed to it was overdue um so they 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 send out beal beal gets them chris paul they certainly didn't need chris paul as a rebuilding team that that's stripping it down um so flipping chris paul for jordan pool um i thought was a fantastic move for the wizards and it was in some ways i think a necessary move for the warriors there's so many different ways to look at this, John. Um, you know, you can start with just the mere fact that, and, and, and this is where I start with every conversation about the Warriors, and I, I feel this way about the Lakers with LeBron, the Warriors with Steph, the Blazers with Dame Lillard even before he finally asked out, and we still don't know how that's going to resolve. But when you have a generational talent and a guy who's capable of winning championships, has won championships, you owe it to yourself and to that superstar and to your fans, to the to the game, to do everything possible to win in the moment, to be all in. And I think the Warriors got a little too cute with their two-timeline thing for a while. And I understood it, but you got to be all in. And they've, they've, um, they've course corrected. And in part of that course correction was swapping Weissman for, for Gary Payton II. And the, the more dramatic part, of course, of the course correction, I think, is that pool for CP3 swap. Chris Paul's 38. He's not the old Chris Paul. He's going to the Hall of Fame for sure. He's an all-time great. He's one of the best point guards we've ever seen, we've ever seen one of the best players we've seen. Um, but he doesn't have to be that guy for the Warriors. He just has to be... Hey, look, I don't, I don't know where Steve Kerr is going with this, whether he's going to play them together, whether Chris Paul is going to come off the bench. It doesn't even really matter. You know he's going to be there in crunch time. You know he's going to play a lot of minutes. Um... And you know that even if he doesn't score at the level that he once did, maybe defend at the level that he once did, Chris Paul is going to bring a level of intellect and stability, solid play, low mistake play um, that they really need, especially on their second unit. And so as you know, Jordan Poole, younger, more athletic um, and, and, and very talented and may have a very promising future in this league. But who gets you closer to or put you in a better position to win a fifth title with Steph, it, it, it's Chris Paul. I mean, and granted, look, this could backfire. Chris Paul at 38, anybody at 38 in this league. You're in, more injury prone. Stuff takes longer to recover from. I, you know, who knows how many minutes they'll actually even play him. Um, and it makes them that much older. They were already a kind of an old team at their core. 
but I think this was necessary, John. Like I, I like I, 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 I believe in this move. I think this was the right move to make on the fundamentals. And Chris Paul with that second unit, you know, they're still trying to really unlock Jonathan Kuminga and Moses Moody, the two young guys they still have, right? Like the 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 two timeline thing was about Weissman, Moody, Kuminga, and Jordan Poole. Two of those four are now gone. They need the two who are still there to become really high level rotation guys or just reliable rotation guys. And, you know, Chris Paul, I think, is going to to be able to bring more of that out of them than Jordan Poole, who is obviously more scorer than playmaker. So th- I, I think it just, it helps them on a number of levels. Obviously, you can have a Hall of Fame point guard on the court for 48 minutes now. Steph's out. Chris Paul is, is still in, presumably. Um, so I thought it was a great move. And then, you know, there's the, there's the, the uh, other aspects too, right? You could look at it through a salary cap lens. Jordan Poole, they signed to a massive extension. <laughs> And that had not kicked in yet. Now they offload that. Now they have a chance to avoid the so-called second apron in the future. They can, you know, try to, to get some of their cap exceptions back. So there's there's some cap relief involved. And then there's just the elephant in the room, right? Which was, you know, were Poole and Draymond ever going to be the same? Would it, was a team that had both of them on it ever going to be able to recapture the feelings they had before the punch? So... It, it, uh, to me, it worked on every level. Bold move by Mike Dunleavy Jr., the new GM, stepping in for uh, Bob Myers after he resigned. Um, you know, really bold move right out of the gate. Uh, and I, 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 admire, I admire the guts on that one, too, because is, there, is, there is risk baked in. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it, it, it was a really bold move. I, I love to see when like new uh, NBA ownership or new NBA GM comes in and just makes a big splash. Like a uh, shout out, Matt, you know, Matt Ishbia for uh, for the Suns came in yeah. and just made a splash. But that's that's that, that's for another episode. But what I what I want to talk about with you is, uh, man, I'm really glad you brought up the Warriors um, avoiding that second apron with by, you know, letting go of Jordan Poole before that contract hits, because I think that's a big part um, of the of the deal that not a lot of people are talking about. People are just kind of talking about the fit of Chris Paul, fit of Chris Paul. But avoiding that second apron, especially with the new CBA, is is is, is massive for the Warriors. But what I want to ask you is so it seems like what you're what you're thinking of it, like, let's say you're in Steve Kerr's shoes is looking like you're you want cp3 to come off the bench is that am i correct in assuming that or what do you think that's going to happen because i've heard Uh, both sides of the story yeah um steve kerr has a few more championship rings than i do um (laughs) a lot more coaching experience than i do uh so i'm not presupposing anything my gut says chris paul off the bench right my gut says don't stray from the winning formula you have which is Stephen clay in the backcourt Draymond and Kevon Looney up front, Wiggins at the wing. Um, that unit, again, that five-man unit, put it up against any five-man unit in the NBA, they're still one of the best out there. And from a chemistry standpoint or just a functionality standpoint, I think I want to stick with that. You know, I, I, I understand the argument for inserting Chris Paul and, you know, also maybe, you know, being sensitive to whether he wants to be a bench player ever, even at age 38, right? That He's a pretty prideful guy and, and understandably so. Maybe he doesn't want to do that. But I, I think just like it, it's like when they brought in um, Andre Iguodala, right? And Iguodala had, you know, had a really nice career in Philadelphia and Denver. And it was in, in moving him to the bench as kind of a point forward that it really unlocked a lot for the Warriors and put Iguodala eventually on the path to be, you know, uh, finals MVP. Um, granted, he ended up starting there at the end, but that's not the point. The point is <laughs> Iguodala's willingness to sacrifice and to bring a playmaking element to their bench that they really needed at that time was really critical. So, yeah, I mean, look, Chris Paul and Steph Curry are going to play together at times within a game. They may even finish games with those two on the court. Probably, you know, Clay slides to three, Draymond to the five, you know, Wiggins at the four, and, you know, and maybe Looney on the bench. Although, you know, Kevon Looney's like an incredible offensive rebounder and screen setter, great overall player for them, really underrated for them. Um, See, so it's it's going to be interesting. Like, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how Steve Kerr plays this. But yeah. As long as Chris Paul isn't going to, you know, pout about it, and I got to think he probably won't. He's got a chance to finally win a championship. Um, and he's coming onto a team with, you know, 
a Hall of Fame point guard already in place. So, uh, yeah, my gut says Chris Paul off the bench. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how they play it. Yeah. No, I mean, Steve Kerr is a legendary coach. So he, he, I'm, I'm sure he's got a couple, couple of tricks up his sleeve, but I'm in, I, from, from my opinion, like I'm in agreement with you. I, I do think that it'd be better to bring him off the bench for a couple of reasons, right? I mean, Chris Paul, he's, like I said, Hall of Fame point guard, has been used to being in that starting role. And not only just is he used to being in that starting role, he's used to being in that starting role with the ball in his hands, initiating the offense. I think that if he is going to start, like, what are we going to, are we going to, you know, probably push Curry to the two and then take the, have Curry play a bit more off ball, which he can do. But I think at that point, you know, you're paying Stephen Curry to be, uh, to be that guy. And then another issue that I, I would have is like the attitude, like, will he be able to take it? The de- the defense, I think uh, if you have a starting lineup of Curry, uh, I mean, Chris Paul, Curry, um, she could slide what clay, uh, clay down Wiggins and then Dre at the five. While that is like, a great lineup, right? I could kind of reminds me of like that deaf lineup that they were trying to run, but it's just very small. It's a very small lineup, especially in today's league. That does concern me. So that's kind of like what my next point that I wanted to get to is like, because if we look at the top of the West, right? Like we got the Denver Nuggets who got Nicole Jokic. So if you want to win a championship, you're going to have to go through those teams. We got the the Lakers. I think they're going to be top, top of the league this year. Anthony Davis, if he's available, you know, that guy, he's not that not available too much, but if he's available, you're going to have to get through a player like that. Even even just the Memphis Grizzlies, when having a young Triple J, and I know he's taking strides this year playing in Team USA. He's gotten, I've heard a lot of news stories that he's been able to know, control his, his amount that he fouls. So if if that is the case, I guess, like, even to end games or whatnot, like, is that a concern to you that the Warriors really are going to have struggle getting past those top-tier teams in the West without a real big? The West is really interesting, right? Um the Nuggets are going to go into the season as the rightful favorites to repeat. Um, they did lose a couple of key bench guys in Bruce Brown and Jeff Green, but, you know, the starting five is intact. Um, they are young and still improving. I, you know, there, there's no reason to think that the Nuggets shouldn't be the favorites still. That said, like, I think the West race is is really crowded right now. Like, if you want to say that it's a race to knock off the Nuggets, that's one way of putting it. The other way to put it would be, well, if we if we pencil in the Nuggets is still number one, the race to be number two is really crowded. So let's talk about the rest of those guys. Uh, the Lakers made the conference finals, got smoked in the conference finals, but made the conference finals, um, finished the season as a much better team than, than the way they started the season because they, they finally uh, traded Westbrook for to replenish all the role players that they lost when they acquired Westbrook. Um and they had a good offseason. They're going to go into next season much stronger than, than they did uh, last year. The Suns have created a super team of sorts. Uh, I'm not entirely sold on it, but they do have Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and Bradley Beal. And they did a pretty decent job of filling out the roster around them. It's basically a brand new team. I have no idea what their chemistry is going to look like. I have no idea if they're going to be able to defend at a high level. I have no idea what, uh, you know just just the, the the general how the pieces are all going to fall into place it's always much trickier than just throw three stars together and besides that one of those stars durant has got a lot of miles on him and basically plays two-thirds of every season at this stage of his career because he's always getting hurt and that's what happens when you're in your mid-30s and when you've also come back from uh from an achilles so i think i misspoke earlier and said he had an acl um but the, the Achilles, you know, he's come back from fantastically in, in the sense that he still plays at, a, at an extremely elite level. He's one of the still one of the top four or five players in the NBA, but he just can't get through a season. So the Suns are in the mix, though. Um, we can laugh about the Clippers all we want, and we can say it's always about all these what ifs and asterisks. But if, if Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard are on the court, who knows, maybe they still get James Harden. Um, they're starting the season with Westbrook, who, who played pretty well for them. They're 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 in this. They're in the conversation. Um, so they're they're already. You've got Nuggets, Lakers, Suns, Clippers, Warriors. That's five teams in the running. And I haven't got even gotten to the Kings and Grizzlies, who were the two, the second and third best teams in the West last year, young and still improving. The Mavericks, who I, I don't know what the heck to make of the Mavericks, <laughs> but they do have they have Luca. And if Luca and Kyrie figure it out with a full training camp, can't dismiss them. I don't think they're. I don't really think they're contender, but they are a team to 
talk about. Um, Timberwolves should be better than last season. Again, not entirely sold on them, but you know these are teams that are going to be strong. Um, the Pelicans are going to be no worse than solid to maybe even good or... or, or they showed flashes of great last season before Zion went down. So again, laugh all you want, asterisk all you want about whether Zion plays a full season. But if Zion's playing along with Ingram, McCollum, the rest of that group, they're a really strong team. So like, it's just the West is, is it's, it's gotten a lot better. Um, and there are teams that are on the rise. I think the contender group after the Nuggets is really more like Lakers, Suns, Warriors, maybe the Clippers. I'm not entirely sure the Kings and Grizzlies are ready for it yet. And John Morant's going to spend the first 25 games suspended. Um, but that's kind of the conversation. And it's a conversation with a lot of teams in it. It is. So, it is. Um, but I do think the Warriors have absolutely uh, enough to at least make a run to the conference finals and give themselves a chance to try to knock off the Nuggets. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I know out of those out of those top teams in the West, I think that yes, the the Warriors are probably the smallest team out of all of them because um, pretty sure like they they just picked up Dario Sargent, he's like their biggest player on the team now at at six ten. Um, but what they what the other teams don't have is they're going to have to be able to keep up with the Warriors, and we know how notoriously fast the Warriors play, and with that with the small ball lineup, you know that does play that to, to, to an advantage. So it will be really, really interesting to see like where the Warriors, you know, fall um, as far as like competing with these top teams in the, in the West is this, this next season. And then um, while we're, I guess while we're on the topic of, you know, Dario Sarge and, and, the, and the bigs talk to me, talk, talk to me how you feel about, you know, that pickup and also the, the Draymond green re-signing uh, four years, a hundred mil. I personally thought he was gone to be honest. I, I, after not only just the whole situation, and like we we see how he is in media talking about my guy LeBron. Like I thought I thought he was out of here, but came back four years, hundred mil, and then also to pick up on Dario Sarge. What are your thoughts on those? I never thought Draymond was leaving. Oh really? Um, no, never never thought so. Um, they've got you know, look. They've got a really great thing going there, and Draymond needed to at least position himself at least you know create enough of a concern to make sure that he got the extension or the new contract that he wanted. Um, he did take a pay cut, but he's still making a, a very respectable amount for uh, a player of his caliber and at his age. Um, they are clearly all in on keeping this core together now, again, after flirting with the whole two timeline thing. And after there was, I think, some legitimate question a year ago about, well, how long are they going to hold on to Clay and Draymond? You know, they're going to keep Steph forever is the rest of this in flux given contract situations, given payroll concerns, given luxury tax concerns, given age concerns, given the two timeline thing, but they clearly have recalibrated. And uh, Joe Lake of the Warriors owner recently did a podcast with Tim Kawakami, my friend over at the athletic and said, basically like, yeah, we expect to keep clay now too. Like clay's going into his walk year, but they, you know, Lake made it pretty clear that they expect to either resign clay next uh next off season or maybe even extend and i think kawakami's um sense of it the way he, he he wrote it up was like yeah don't be surprised if they extend clay before the season starts so they are all in on keeping that core together and riding it for as long as they can and again i think that's the right approach um draymond's still playing at an incredibly high level uh you know obviously especially defensively and as a playmaker um and yes they have some size concerns they've always had size concerns you know, um, ever, you know, ever since the first run uh, back in 2015, like, and that comes and goes. But, you know, Looney plays big. Um, you don't want to play Draymond all of his minutes at the five, but he can play plenty there. And Saric gives them something that they needed. He's a big man who can stretch the defense, who can shoot the three, who can pass, who can do a few things with the ball in his hands. Um he fits their uh, their dynamic, their their style, much better than say Jermichael Green did, um, and so they're they're trying to kind of recapture some of what they had two seasons ago. You know, like when you know Otto Porter filled that role right as a pseudo big who could shoot the three and do a few other things. So I like the Sarich pickup. 
could they use one more big, like, you know, somebody between 6'10 and 7 feet, a more traditional looking big man? I mean, yeah, maybe. But I feel like we talk about that all the time with the Warriors and, and they often, you know, find a way to succeed, uh, succeed without that. It was a bigger problem against the Warriors with Anthony Davis, right? And a fully functioning Anthony Davis, and you could say the same when they're facing Jokic and maybe a couple others. It, it, I think it's a legit question. Um, I'm not sure who all who who all is out there to pick up. I know some people might maybe wanted to uh, them to go back down the road with JaVale McGee again, but um, you know that that didn't come to pass. Um, McGee may be past his his, <laughs> his uh, expiration yeah. date. You know, um, but maybe maybe that's a move they still make, right? Like maybe they find a, a you know one uh, you know. What what the one more signing or one one minor trade to get them a little uh, a little bit of more strength or size in the front court? Absolutely, yeah. I, immediately when I seen that Javale had you know got let go in the situation, I was like, I was thinking like, man, that's kind of perfect for the Warriors. But like how you said, he is a little bit past his expiration date, and pretty sure he got picked up uh, by another California team, the Kings. Yeah. Um, and then I do, I do just want to you know kind of talk uh, talk about the Dario Sarge situation because I think that like. While he's not the ideal player you wanted, because like I like how you mentioned, when you face a, a Anthony Davis, when you face a Jokic, when you face a, even a over there on the East like a Joel Embiid, a Giannis, like I feel like you're still you're still small, but like how you said, he does allow them to stretch the floor. And um, last season in the playoffs, I feel like that that was. Um, a point where the Warriors were kind of getting exposed on is whenever when, uh, Draymond and Kevon Looney were on the court at the same time, they kind of like exposed the two non-shooters on the court. So I think adding a player like Daryl Sargewitz, he has the height and you can't just leave him open out there. Like how they were leaving Jermichael Green open. Like Jermichael yeah. Green was just getting open looks on a player like Daryl Sarge. Like, you know, he has the ability to knock that down. So you can't, you can't leave, uh, you, you can't leave that open. Um, so I'm definitely in agreement with you right there. I think he's a solid pickup for them. Um, but this is this this is I guess this is some old news. I know I know Wiseman's been traded, but I, I gotta get your feel. Like I know you say you're not necessarily a Warriors fan, but you covered the Warriors, you know, for a long time. You know a lot about them. How, how did you feel about the Wiseman situation? Because I'll be honest, like me personally, I'm a big believer in Wiseman. I've been a big believer in him since his college days. Like you said, he just never fit the timeline. And when you have generational players like Curry, LeBron's, uh, Kevin Durant, you got to go all in to match their window so that you can win. I'm in agreement with that. But I'm hearing Warriors fans out here talking about like, oh, he's a bus. Oh, he never could have worked out all this and that when he just never got a chance because he never fit the timeline. What's your thoughts on Wiseman? And were you sad to see him go? Uh, I did a... Uh big feature on Weissman heading into last season um, for Sports Illustrated. And uh, so I've spent some time with him and, uh, you know, talked to a lot of people for that story. I, I like Weissman a lot. I think he's about the right things. Um, I think he's, he's, a, he's, he's a, you know, bright young player, committed, um, went through a lot personally, professionally, health-wise, his first couple of years, obviously, even his college experience was was rocky. Um, he's been through a lot, and I think that that ultimately, you know, will will serve him well because I think he's he's kind of figured out how to persevere. He was really patient with the way the Warriors used him as a, as a guy who was, you know, you know, you know, picked as high as he was to have to basically wait his turn, ride the bench. That's tough. Even if you're on a championship team, you know, like the upside is he got to be part of a championship. The upside is he got to learn from some of the best players ever to play. The downside is he really didn't have much of a chance to learn and evolve and thrive and make his mistakes and get his reps. But, you know, that's that's the NBA sometimes. Um, I, I, I hate the term bust anyway. Busts aren't about – the term bust is, is almost – uh, is very, very rarely about the player. The player is not a bust. If a, if a high pick busted, it's on the team usually. They maybe picked the wrong guy or they picked, a, you know, they, or they, they simply picked him too high or maybe they didn't develop him. Maybe they didn't give him the right environment. Um, but I don't like that term in general. And I think in Weissman's case, it was just the wrong player at the wrong time with the wrong team. He may turn into a really great player. Like he's got, the, the guy has got, some incredible skills and physical tools, height and length. And, and he's, he's uh, 
graceful on his feet. He's, uh, he's, he's, uh, you know, he can get to the rack. He can put the ball on the deck a little bit. Um, he may not have the defensive instincts right now to guard multiple positions, but he's got the physical ability, the athleticism to guard multiple positions, which is critical in today's NBA. He, he can be a tremendous shot blocker and rebounder. You saw him put up some pretty big numbers in Detroit, but he just couldn't do that with the Warriors because there was too much riding on every possession. And also the Warriors play this really intuitive style that for a really young player is hard to kind of adapt to. He needs to be in more of a traditional kind of just pick and roll kind of offense um, that's not so much read and react. He's not there yet. He might get there, but he, he wasn't there yet. And the Warriors weren't the right environment for him to, to, to really grow into that player. So I think the future is still really bright for James Weissman, whether that's in Detroit, whether it's somewhere else. Um, I, I don't think it's anyone's fault in particular. It just was the wrong place for him to, to, to grow into the player that he can become. That's, that's, that's per- perfectly put Howard, because that's, that, that's how I feel about it too. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm high on him <laughs> and I have this take that the family out there that's been listening for some time, they've been tuning into my show. They know I've been saying this and I mean, He's what, like he's one, two, three, like four or five years into his career. So it might be um, it, this take might be starting to get a little old. But when he first came into the league, I'm not going to lie. I used to say, watch, like if the words develop him right, Wiseman could be like the next Anthony Davis. He could he could pick and roll. He could pick and lob. He could play some defense. I, I was very hard on him. Now, now I don't, I don't maybe maybe that take is a little worn out now. It, it, it's not, though. I'm going to I'm going to get you off the hook with one number here, John. Eighty four. 84. That's the number of games he's played. He's Damn. barely played one full NBA season. So to judge him on that, I, I think is, is, is foolish. Like you can't, you know, if anybody's saying like, the, like it's already over, it's done. He's a bust. He's never going to be like, come on. He's played 84 games. He, he has to stay healthy. Um, there's been some bad luck along the way, but you, you, you can't judge any young player after 84 games of their career. Um, he's going to stay healthy at some point, maybe starting this coming season with the Pistons. And I think he's going to be a really good player. I, I, I don't know what the ceiling is. I don't know how far he goes. I don't, you know, I, I, I can't see the future, but um, he's 22 <laughs> and he's played 84 games. Like I, I think folks need to give him some, some time to, uh, to, to, you know, stay on the court and evolve. Come on people. Give my guy wise me some time, but all right. So, and then, that I just wanted to get your thoughts on Wiseman because just I'm a, I'm I'm a big Wiseman fan. But now let's you know get back to the young guys on the Warriors, right? Because that's that's someone we need to talk about. Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, two great players who have a lot of potential. Like how you talked about Chris Paul, I think is going to be the key to unlocking, especially Kaminga. But my question to you is, who to you is more likely to have a, a breakout season this season, Kaminga or Moody? Ooh, that's a good question. Probably Kaminga only in that he probably gets more, there's a more natural slot for him in, in the, the, the big man and wing rotation. Um, we talked about this earlier. They don't have a lot of size. And Kuminga, combination of size, athleticism, just that incredible explosiveness he has, uh, the ability to defend multiple positions, um, they're going to need all that. And, you know, Moody can do some things, too. And, and certainly, I, I think, you know, is a, a good off-the-ball sh- uh, player and shooter. Um, but, you know, they've got a lot of guys to rotate through the guard positions in particular. And so I just think Kuminga's got more potential runway. There are more minutes available. I was looking at what the rotation could look like, right? So if we assume the same starting five, Curry, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney, Chris Paul's the first one off the bench, assuming that he's on the bench. Um, Gary Payton, the second is going to get a ton of minutes. Sarge is going to get minutes. That's eight already. They signed Corey Joseph, a good veteran, uh, you know, backup guard. Um, they may need to plug him in at times. And then you've got Kaminga and Moody. So there's your, you know, one, two, three, four, five. That's like six bench players. So that's, there's your top 11. Um, Kaminga and Moody have to make a case for themselves ahead of, on some nights, Chris Paul, Gary Payton, Dario Sarge. Um, and I, and I think they will, and I think they'll, they'll, they'll be integrated. And I think like last season, the Warriors will probably try to give them as much rope as they can early on to help let them establish themselves as reliable rotation guys, because 
the more you can play them, the better off you are. You, you need fresh legs. You need young legs. Um, you don't want to burn out Chris Paul. And, you know, Darius Arch is, is now, what, two years removed from an ACL. So you, you don't want to lean on the, on the vets too heavily. And you, you, for that matter, you don't want to lean on, on, on the, the starting five vets, especially the, the three core guys. Um, so if they can get Kuminga Moody jump-started this season, they're that much better off. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really, I really do want to see a, a crazy breakout season from Kaminga. I'm not gonna lie, I've been another, another player. I've been just a, a big believer in um, the comp that I, I when I think of Kaminga, I kind of think of just uh, maybe not as skilled, but just a young, raw, talented Kawhi Leonard. Just he has all the intangibles. Uh, big, he's big, he's athletic. Um, he can, you know, he could really get it done. I just want to see him. Be able to translate, uh, translate that into the game, and then I also do want to see my guy Steve Kerr. I feel like you, you like how you said, right? Like he gives them rope early in the season, but like later on in the season, like if they make one mistake, I feel like those young guys just get pulled so quickly. And maybe that is because of the the timeline situation. It's like, oh, you we're trying to accomplish something great here. We don't necessarily got time to be putting these building blocks down. So maybe I can understand that. But this next season, I do think that Kerr has to. Definitely, you know, give Kaminga and, and Moody a lot more rope even later later on in the season because those young guys just got to play through their mistakes. That's, that's the best way to learn in the NBA, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, it's one of these eternal questions, and I've, I've thrown this at coaches um, many times over the years. Um, it's, it's, you know, is it sink or swim? Is it earn your minutes? Um, like, what's the best approach when you've got good young talent? And you know it. You know those guys need time to get their reps, to make their mistakes, to play through it. How? But how much time? How many mistakes can you play through? Um, are you better off having to earn your way into more minutes and really hold them to a high standard uh, and make them beat out the vets for a minute? Like it's it it's a it, it's it's a tough thing. It's a tough balance for any coach in any situation. And I think when the stakes are as high as they are for the Warriors, which is that every season is championship or bust. It just makes it that much more difficult. So I don't, I don't knock Kerr for any, you know, the way he's used these guys. I, I think that's just a really difficult needle to thread, um, and with very little room for error. And we saw what happened last season, right? Like they, they tried to give the young guys as much as they could, and it's, it's not the young guys' fault entirely that they only win forty-four games and lose in the second round. But like among the elements that I listed earlier in in the show. That was one of the things that that I think, uh, you know, produced a, a less than stellar season for the Warriors. They really were trying to go all in on the young guys and, and they weren't ready yet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Timeline and fit is everything, man. That's why I was saying the draft, you always just draft fit, never draft for talent. You draft for the fit. But, um, you know, Howard, as we kind of start to wrap up here, um, what I what I want to. I want to get some early some early predictions if that's okay with you. If you're if you're down to give me some early predictions oh boy. for 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 next season, but let's keep into mind like but what I want what I I want to get early predictions but I also want to get here from you like is the championship window done? Like how you said, this has been a dynasty. This has been going on for a long time. Bob Myers just left. He's the architect of this team. He's the one who really kind of put this team together. But what I want to know is as you know, Curry gets older, as Bob Myers leave, as the rumors getting higher and higher, as the noise is getting louder over there in, in in San Francisco. Like, you tell me, like, is the championship window closed, or do they still have another run to be able to get there? I still haven't closed the championship window personally for LeBron and the Lakers, um, and and I thought that that was really perilously close to getting slammed shut. Um, I believe in the greats. I like. I I do like. LeBron's not not dead and buried un, until until he says so. And same thing same thing with Steph. Like these are guys who, um, if you can just get them the right support, and it's it's you know the the Lakers have really struggled with that over the last couple of years, uh, the last three years since they won the last championship. Um, like just get those guys the right supporting cast, and they can still carry it. Um. It was really interesting to see. Uh, so Seth Partnow, who who uh, who I think you probably met or, or or saw speak a couple times at Sports Business Classroom. Seth writes for the Athletic, um, one of the smartest people writing about the game, I think, and you know views everything through both an analytics lens as well as a basketball lens. He does his annual 
tiers of the NBA. They're not rankings, they're just tiers. So they're groupings, right? And he does five tiers that encompass like the top 125 players. And Seth does this every, you know, summer, late summer. Um, Steph is still 1A, tier 1A. It's, it's him, Jokic, and Giannis. So Steph is still considered the guy that if you just have Steph, you've got a chance because he puts you in the conversation. Um, they don't have anybody in tier two, but, the, but he has Draymond in tier three, Chris Paul and Andrew Wiggins in tier four, and then Clay, Gary Payton II, and Kevon Looney in tier five. So that's seven of the Warriors that made his top 125, um, four of whom are in those top four tiers. That's a pretty good case, at least on paper, to say that this team is is in the mix. I didn't go through to see how many other teams have that many guys in the top three or four tiers, but I'm going to guess it's not a, it's not that many. Um, so the Warriors are in there, I think. Um, you know, they lost Dante DiVincenzo, who was really good for them. That hurts. Um, but I think Saric is an upgrade over Jermichael Green. I think Chris Paul should be an upgrade over Jordan Poole. Uh, not, not in stats, not in production, not in athleticism or youth, but just in functionality, just in what he's going to bring to the table and the reliability that he brings. If you assume a full season from Andrew Wiggins this time, instead of 37 games, if we can assume health from their core three guys, they're in there. They're absolutely in there. Those are a lot of assumptions. (laughs) And because of the, the ages of those guys, you never know. Um, there's a lot of volatility there, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to assume health as we go into a new season. Um, especially because like Steph's been pretty damn durable, right? Draymond Green's been durable. Clay Thompson, since coming back from the two major injuries has been pretty durable. Kevon Looney has been durable. Um, Wiggins durable. Like I, I, I think they get the benefit of the doubt on that, uh, on that count. So, yeah, I think they're in there. I think they're in the conversation. I don't think the championship window is closed. I do think that the Nuggets are, are the favorites going in. Um, and I do think that the, the Warriors are going to have to scrap and claw against those, those teams I mentioned earlier, whether it's the Suns, the Lakers, possibly the Clippers. Um, it's it, it's going to be a, a dogfight again. But, like, yeah, I'm, not, I'm never ruling out Steph Curry when he's still playing at the level that he is. Um, I'm not ruling out the team with four rings. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely hard to rule out those rule out those great players. They could they could make it happen, and I mean, we all doubted them in 20, 2022 and they made it happen. So I think in some teams, if you could just get to the playoffs, like they'll be able to handle it when they get there. Um, but all right, well, you 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 guys heard it here first. But last question that we like to ask here, Howard, is can you give us a word or a phrase to describe about? Just describe how you felt as I know you're not a Warriors fan, but I guess covering the Warriors, how did you feel last year? Like, give me a word or a phrase of how you felt last year, and then give me another word or a phrase to describe about how you're feeling coming into this next year. Huh. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a couple different thoughts about like a one-word description for last season. I, I mean, I think on some level this may sound counterintuitive, but I think I was impressed overall. Um, they went through a lot. And again, some, some of it's self-inflicted Draymond <laughs> punching pool. Um, but they went through a lot. And I think there were plenty of times last season where, where it was more than logical to write them off. And, you know, they still make it to the second round, um, you know, and, and kept themselves at a level where you thought, you know what, a couple things break, right. They're right back in this. So I was, I was, I was impressed overall. Um, despite, you know, and listen, teams don't, don't repeat as champions very often these days. And the last time the Warriors did, you know, they had one of the best rosters in the history of the game with Durant still there. So, you know, it was a lot to expect that they were going to repeat. Um, I I think I was overall impressed. I think going into next season, the one word would probably be, uh, intrigued. Um, if I, if I were a fan, I might even say hopeful, um, I, I, I think there's reason for Warriors fans to be optimistic. I really do. Um, for, for everything that we just covered over the last half hour or so. I just think that uh, w- the window is getting narrower for sure. I don't know. And, and you, this is the thing. You never know in this league with the superstars, and especially with guards, 
um, you never know when they're just going to kind of fall off a cliff. Like a guy can be, you know, all NBA one season and the next season, he's just kind of ordinary. You see it happen all the time. And guys play deeper and at a high level deeper into their careers than they ever have. We've seen it with LeBron. We've seen it with, um, with Steph because of, of all of the modern sports science and training and, you know, attention to nutrition and year round training. Like they, they're not, it's not like in the old days where you hit 32, 33 as a guard and, you, and you're just done. Um, so Steph is still playing at an incredibly elite level. That means they're in the conversation. And I, I just, I think there's enough variables that could break in their, in their favor um, that I'm, I'm, I'm at a minimum intrigued by what they can do next season and uh, would be uh, more than happy as a neutral observer to see a Warriors Nuggets conference finals uh, because that would be a lot of fun. Wow, man. Wow, man. Well, you guys heard it here first, man. My guy, Howard, he's impressed from last season and he's intrigued coming into this season. Howard, man, I just want to thank you for coming on here and just talking some hoops with us, talking Warriors. I do want to give you the floor. You have any last things that you want to say? Anything you want to shout out? Uh, no, if anybody wants to uh, follow my work, of course, you can always find me on Twitter at Howard Beck. Uh, I have an authory page, which is where all of my writing is and, and all of my writing from really the last 20 years is. That's author with a Y on the end, authory.com backslash Howard Beck. And everything I've been writing for GQ Sports, everything I previously wrote for Sports Illustrated, the New York Times, um, it's all at Bleacher Report. It's all there. And uh, I think that's all I have to plug today. I may have other news coming soon um, on the uh, writing and podcasting front, but um, too soon to uh, to get into that yet. But stay tuned. Uh, I'll probably say something on Twitter when that's all final in the next couple of weeks, I hope. So. Yes, sir, man. Yes, sir. You guys heard it here first, man. Stay tuned. And if you guys want to keep up with Howard and all his social medias and all his work, I'm going to link everything in the description down below. So just go check out the, the, the description. You're going to be able to find his Twitter page, Instagram page, all his work he's ever did. Go check him out. Great guy. Great author. Um, but for, for, for me, man, that's that's that, that's it, man. Um, like I said, I appreciate you um, for the family out there. Make sure you guys go check out Howard. Go show him some love. Go like and subscribe. But um, for now, we out of here, y'all. Peace.